yes, this is a female dominated genre and let's take that and use that voice. Cause we've got, like you said, it's a, it's a huge industry and there's a ton of readership and it's growing all the time. And let's use that voice and ex- explore messages that really matter to women. And let's, let's write characters that are um, you know, not just stereotypes of women, but like real women characters. And let's, let's really explore how sexy consent can be. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy and it's silly and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, (laughs) see what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Hey, (laughs) it's Friday. (laughs) Award-winning author Christina Berry is our guest today. Christina writes sex-positive contemporary romance with heart, humor, and lots of sizzle. Her debut novel, Up for Air, won the 2021 Independent Press Award for Romance and was a 2021 Maxi Awards finalist in romance. Her second novel, The Road Home, is due out on August 5th. A citizen of the Cherokee Nation, Christina created the All Things Cherokee website, where she publishes Cherokee genealogy, art, and cultural content. In her free time, you'll find her at home in Austin, Texas, helping her husband with their never-ending home remodeling project and chronicling the adventure in a dramaty blog. Christina, (laughs) welcome to Steam Scenes. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my God, thank you for being here. So I'm very curious, what are you remodeling? Is it the whole house? Yes, the entire thing. We uh, we bought a house in 2006 that was built in 1946 and we took it down to the studs and then built it back up. And then we built a second building in the backyard. So it's just this constant process. Are you, is it just the two of you doing this? For the most part, yes. However, we do occasionally hire experts. We've hired a roofer, we hired a, uh, some people to do the steel on the second building and the things that we can't possibly do ourselves. But anytime it's drywall or anything like that, it's us. (laughs) It's exhausting. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. No. Um, You know, I mean, we've, my, my, my spouse and I like have done the home renos. I can't even paint. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, no, I can't. I'm like, can we just hire someone? Cause I'm done. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot. And you know, we started this 16 years ago when we were different in different stages of our life. So now it's like, oh, do we have to work on the house this weekend? I'd really like to write. So yes, yeah, <laughs> 16 years younger. Yeah. <laughs> our backs don't like it so much anymore either. <laughs> I mean, 16 years is a really long it is. time. It is. At least now it's a comfortable space. Like it's insulated for, there were years there. There was actually one year that we went through a freeze where we didn't have any insulation inside the house, except for one room that we called our igloo. And all the pipes exploded all over the living room. And so that was, and that was right before we were going to have a big party too. Our housewarming party, ironically. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I don't know. Okay. We we shouldn't even unpack that. That's fascinating. (laughs) 
Wow. So I can't believe I can't believe it's like under construction 16 years. I think I'd lose my mind. I would lose my mind. I have a I I wonder sometimes if this city of Austin has like a running bet to see like if we how long we can stretch out our permits because you know if you get an inspection every six months you get it renewed and so we've had these for so many years we've been through five different inspectors at this point oh my god that's i didn't even think about the permits and how hilarious that must be like you've had a permit in your window for 16 years yeah it's kind of ridiculous well and and the the technology's changed too so you don't have to have the permit in your window because they can just look it up on a computer in their car and so they just look up the address and they can find them. But they have to do a backlog search because we don't even come up with the search engine anymore because the search engine is dated, I think, a year back. And it's like, yeah, you have to put 2008 into the into the search field before you're going to find it. Oh, my God. That's wild. <laughs> That's totally wild. OK, so 16 years ago, you buy this house, you mm-hmm. strip it down, you're rebuilding it. And you said 16 years ago you weren't writing. Or no, you writing? no, I wasn't. Okay. And I wasn't even really reading. I it wasn't oh. until my husband made some sort of offhand comment about how I don't like to read that I was like, what are you talking about? I love to read. And he's like, I've literally never seen you read. And that was when I realized, like, I haven't been reading. So that's when I got back into reading all the time. And then that kind of got me back into writing. So, okay, so backtracking mm-hmm. a bit more. Um, so were you at one point a big reader and just it just kind of fell off because, like, life happens? Yeah, I think I was. And then in college, I studied history. And so you read a lot of nonfiction and you read mm-hmm. a lot of, like, additional supplemental texts. Yeah. And uh, I think at, when I graduated, I was just kind of done. <laughs> and, and then, uh, you know, I read a little bit uh, of fiction after that, but just not much. And I just never really made time for it. And I think yeah. I was focused more on art, like photography. I did some beadwork, like my mom does beadwork and I did some beadwork. And oh, cool. I kind of stepped away from reading and writing just entirely. Uh, and then I went to Budapest in 2003 and suddenly I was inspired. Like that place just really, really, I think the reason I like to write is because I like to describe what's in my head mm-hmm. and it just, it kind of opened up my, uh, my imagination. It's just okay. this magical city. And so that's when I kind of started to try to write again. But since I hadn't been reading, I, you know, my writing was mediocre at best and I never really did anything with that. And so it wasn't until many years later that I started to write for real. <laughs> So, so before, like maybe before college, mm-hmm. did you write? Um, I mean, obviously when we're in college, we have to write papers and all that, mm-hmm. you know, soul sucking shit. Yeah. But did you, <laughs> were you a cre- writing creatively before then? Not formally. I was, I, I would write things that I saw in my head. And I think that that's how I got into writing was that I couldn't draw to save my mm. life. My sister's a great drawer and I just never could. And so I would write descriptions. I wouldn't write plot or dialogue, I would just describe an image in my head. And because I was a boy crazy goth girl, it was always like some vampire prince in his bedroom in some castle. And I'm like drawing (laughs) out all the four poster bed and the French doors with the billowy curtains and leaves strewn everywhere. Like this is what I can still remember it. It's still there because I wrote it down so many times. Oh my God, this is wonderful. (laughs) I want to read this book. Where is it? Where is it? All it is is just this one scene, one description. (laughs) Does that still exist anywhere outside of like in your head? Do you still have that? Oh my gosh. I was wondering about that recently because I have got all these boxes in my attic and I'm like, I wonder if 
some of that old writing is in there because that would be amazing. That would be worth putting on the website. <laughs> yeah, I purged. I purged so much of my old stuff and like my not the last move, like the one before. Like I moved from college to grad school to mm-hmm. like I, I did like multiple, multiple moves with all of these crates of like old notebooks and journals yep. and stuff like that. And I actually moved them to the house that we lived in before this past move. And I, and, and they sat packed away for like seven years. And I was like, this is stupid. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I was like, purge, I like purged everything. And so I ended up throwing all of that away. And now now I'm kicking myself and I know everybody says, oh, if you haven't used it in six months, throw it away. And I'm like, yeah, I do that. And then like a couple of years later, I regret every, like, I regret it. Yeah, I'm the I same regret way. It. That's when we were like, okay, well, the the attic is insulated. Let's put it all up there. So we had, you know, we have these massive storage units that sit in the driveway for years that we thought were going to be there for seven months. Now they've been there for seven years. Finally, oh. we <laughs> emptied one of them out, and I went through all those Congratulations! <laughs> like, what is all this stuff? And I was like, you know, if it's been in a storage unit for seven years, do we really need it? Yeah. But then we would find things in there that were just keepsakes, things that you just yeah. don't want to throw away. But it's like, well, we don't need these. We don't. We're never really going to read them. It's like, well, let's put them in the attic. So now that we've got piles and piles of boxes in the attic, it's like, okay, well, at least it's not thrown away. <laughs> Could be, yeah, you know, it can be retrieved later if I ever want to bother. <laughs> So you're so okay. So you're writing these descriptions of vampire princes and their beautiful four poster beds, which I really want to read now. Um, and was it? And and you're you know you're a young goth kid, and are you like okay? I think I want to be a writer, but then you sort of at some point transitioned to major in history, or yeah. did you know you didn't want to be? Were you was writing not a thing in your head that you could do? The second one, I never thought okay. of myself as like I'm going to be a writer someday. Like that never seemed like my career goal or even something that was truly doable. It just seemed um, bigger than, because, you know, I'm older and so I grew up, uh, you know, when there wasn't a Wattpad and there wasn't Amazon Mm -hmm. self-publishing. And so, you know, the idea of being a published writer was a very different idea. Um, Right. There was no way you could make your living doing this unless you were like one of the lucky few. Exactly. And I just never thought I would be the one of the lucky few. So I I enjoyed writing as sort of a a creative outlet, but I never thought of it as like write a story and see if other people want to read it. It was more just I've got all this stuff in my head and I want to get it down somewhere. I want to document it. (laughs) And so that's kind of what it was. And then I studied history, almost thinking that I would be a teacher or something. Okay. Um, but then I didn't want to keep going. I didn't want to get an advanced degree. It's like, nope. <laughs> and I ended up in, <laughs> in technology. And so I've been working in a technology field ever since. And just, you know. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Oh, that's a huge transition. Oh, I mean, yeah. I kind of, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, what, what, by the way, what was what area of history were you studying? Or because you usually study focus, right? Yeah, or... you do. Um, I studied. I, I studied here at the University of Texas in Austin, and I got a basic general history degree. But I, I also got a minor in American Studies, and I tried as much as possible to, uh, to take courses that focus on marginalized cultures, so Native okay. American, uh, Mexican American. Um, African-American, like different studies of different communities that 
maybe aren't covered by the general basic history classes that are all about white men and the wars they fight. And, right. uh, and so that was, and, and feminism too is another, um, I, I took a, a several courses in that, but then I would also, you know, I took communist China and Haitian culture and, um, Brazil. Oh, oh I took a Brazil like, class in uh, grad school. So Isn't that culture amazing yeah. and fascinating? I love Brazil. Yeah, yeah. I do too. I want to go there yeah. someday. But so I, I was able to kind of explore all of my interests using like elective courses, just as long as you get enough history credits. Um, so, but I think my focus was generally American history in the, you know, in the, like the mid 1800s. And so, okay. and, 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 and with a particular focus on American Indian. So, um, okay. like the trail of tears, the Indian removal mm-hmm. act, the civil war and all the, the fissures and factions that that created in tribes. And then, um, and then, uh, allotment and all the different ways in which my particular tribe was impacted by American history, I kind of covered. And so then I've, after that on all things Cherokee, I did a lot of genealogy research and that was actually like my side hustle for a long time. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Doing research for other people's family trees. Wow. I mean, I I don't know. I I actually find the genealogy thing very fascinating. Yeah. Um, You know, as, and and I've tried to do it for my own family and I keep running into like brick walls. Oh and yeah, I'm not patient. that's part of it. Totally not patient <laughs> enough to like keep going. Um, but, it's but I frustrating. Just, I actually can kind of see a, a parallel with writing mm. because it's still story. Like it's, yeah. it's piecing together somebody's story. Absolutely. Really. Absolutely. And a lot of times, you know, people would hire me specifically because they had a goal in mind. They wanted to prove they were Cherokee for whatever reason. Sometimes it was okay. just for personal knowledge. Sometimes they thought that they could get enrollment and get, you know, benefits or whatever. And, right. Um, which I never really enjoyed hearing that, but you know, that was part of the, that's part of the deal. Um, but what I enjoyed was then I could go, okay, well, this is the story of your family. According to these mm. primary source documents, they, they started here and then they ended up here and I found these two married and then their siblings married. And then, you know, you, so you can kind of imagine the, the, their lives and, you know, you, you get a census image every 10 years of how many kids they have. And suddenly I've got 13 kids and one of them is named literally Melon Collie. And I'm like, that's adorable. No, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, that's great. I thought that was so fun. Like I never forgot that one. <laughs> oh my God. Somebody had a sense of humor. Know, right? <laughs> I'm like, they let dad name that kid. <laughs> oh my God, that is, it's like a dad joke oh, yeah. in a name. It's yes. absolutely a dad joke. <laughs> Oh my God. This is so, that is so fascinating. Now, are you, you're still doing the genealogy or no, not so much. I'm not doing individual genealogy anymore, but my dad and I have been working on a project. We're trying to get all the different Cherokee roles transcribed because these are the documents that were taken of the tribe. And so if you're looking to see if your family was part of the tribe, that's the that's the document that you're going to need. And there are like 15 of them and some of them have hundreds of thousands of names and so my, wow. my dad just recently retired. He's a he's a lifelong journalist and he's retired now. And he was like, I'll help. So he started transcribing the Dawes role, which is the big one for my tribe. That's what enrollment's based on now. And so, okay. yeah. How, how old is this document? I mean, we're talking, it's got to be like hundreds of years old. It's, eight, it's 1896 to 1907 with Oklahoma statehood. So that was the oh. allotment role, the final role. And essentially everybody who was a citizen of, Cherokee Nation Indian Territory at the time prior to Oklahoma statehood 
was given a, a track of land and then the remainder of the Cherokee Nation land was sold. Uh, and so my family got three tracts of land because my grandfather wasn't born yet. So his mom okay. and his two older brothers got their enrollment lot or land. And then my dad was, my grandpa was born in, I think, 1912. So this Oklahoma was five years old by then. And so he okay. didn't get an, a piece of allotment land, but his mom had the main homestead. And so, you know, that's a, that's a long time ago. That and it's a long time it's ago. It's handwritten. So he's like reading handwriting to to try to transcribe it and it's just it's it's a heck of a thing and then i've been qaing it to make sure that you know two sets of eyes look at it and it's a it's an ordeal yeah Yeah. this is a massive undertaking like an absolutely enormous undertaking what happened to okay so I, i mean obviously people kind of like fall out like you have you know a group of people and what if somebody sort of like went away or mm-hmm. uh, you know a family line died off like they like there's no way to track them before this document um they you can use primary source documents like birth records death records census records and any mm-hmm. of that but if they if they weren't on the Dawes roll then right. you can't enroll in the current tribe. That's the way that our constitution was rewritten when the Cherokee Nation was basically dissolved with Oklahoma statehood. And then it was reconstituted in 1975. And they wrote a new constitution and they based that enrollment on if you or an ancestor, a direct lineal ancestor was on the Dawes roll, which was the final roll taken of of the Cherokee Nation before it was dissolved. And uh, so if your family had moved away from the Cherokee Nation before then, you probably aren't eligible for enrollment today because they wouldn't have been citizens of the tribe at the time of that final record. And there is a lot of that. Um, like some people, um, there were, you know, the Cherokee diaspora is, is there's multiple. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The, the forced removal of the Trail of Tears. And then even before that, there were immigration roles where people moved to what was Indian territory at the time, which is actually Arkansas now. Um, okay. And so you've got all of these people who move to different places and then they're told they have to move again. Some of times right. they're just like, no, screw you, I'm staying here. And so they weren't part of the tribe anymore. Or there right. were people who moved down to Texas who were no longer part of the tribe either. And so it's a, it's a really complicated history and it can be really frustrating for a lot of families because they know they're Cherokee but there's no way to formally document it or prove it. Because I'm just sort of thinking with all the sort of like genealogy DNA now, like the research, you know, I actually did just get my DNA done because my (laughs) husband and my daughter did it. And so they were like, you know, I, and I never wanted to do it. And Mm -hmm. then finally I broke down because there were things that were showing up in my daughter's DNA that I was like, well, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's weird. You know? So I was like, so I actually ended up um, getting tested and there, there were some surprises in there. And so I can imagine like, oh, you know, yeah. people getting their genealogy done now and sort of seeing that and being like, hey, wait a minute. Th- yeah. This is, you know, this is, would you, do you think that there would be a rewriting at some point of the constitution to if, include or at the, or is it just well, at this point now? I don't think so because I, the thing with, the thing with Indian culture is that um, it's not really about blood. It's about the community. And if, you're, right. if your family moved right. away from the community, then 
you're not really Cherokee nationally. You may be ethnically Cherokee, but you're not nationally Cherokee. And that's kind of the difference. It's like, I'm Irish too, but I'm not nationally Irish. I can't vote in the Irish elections because my family moved away during the potato famine, you know? (laughs) So like, that's kind of where, like, that's kind of how I equate it is like the Cherokee nation is a nation. And it's not just, oh, I have a blood test to prove that I should be part of your nation. It's like, no, right. it's part of the history. Right, right. That that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, that <laughs> makes total sense. So, so cool. Okay, so back to writing. <laughs> oh my God. Wow, tangents. I know. Um, we love tangents. <laughs> I'm very good at tangents. <laughs> <laughs> this is like super fascinating stuff, though, specifically, you know, especially when you get into that genealogy thing. Like, that's mm-hmm. just some wild shit. That's some wild oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. So what at what point did you say, hey, you know what? I think I want to be a writer. It was probably about 10 years ago uh, when I really got back into reading. And then I got into reading. I think I've, I, I started reading YA fiction first and then paranormal okay. and then before long paranormal became paranormal romance and then romance and I was like I really like these stories I really like happily ever afters I like the kissing parts I want to write my own and so I kind of and like it like I get inspired by other writers and the stories they're telling and I kind of start to think about my own stories and what I want to tell and how yeah. I would put it and before long I was really starting to just like collect like little snippet ideas that would come up in the shower, or whatever. I would just be like, Oh, I'm going to write that down. And it might not turn into anything, but I have a whole bunch of those. <laughs> yeah. I know. Like that little box of ideas. Oh, I yeah. totally have those too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, you're on this sort of like processor journey or whatever you want to call it. Like did, was there one writer in particular that really influenced you? Um, I think Alice Clayton is one that, like, that was probably the first straight-up romance I read was Wallbanger. Okay. And I really enjoyed it. And I was like, you know, and I think before that I had always, um, I had always heard, I had listened to the naysayers who were like, eh, romance is just not that good. It's it's a sub-genre, kind of, you know, the snooty mm. tone that you get from people. And I would be like, oh, okay. But then I would read it and I'd be like, but I really like it. And like, this is my genre. This is what I want to read. And I think yeah. Alice Clayton was the one where I was like cracking, like literally cracking up laughing, reading that book. And I was like, this is so great. Like, I want to be more involved in this. So her, like her, as far as becoming a romance writer, I think that she was really influential. Colleen Hoover's another one that early on I read Slammed and I was just like, damn, I really like this. I really want to do this. Like it's kind of women's fiction, uh, new adult fiction meets romance you know with mm-hmm. a little bit more drama and a little bit more uh, angst and 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 yet still you get a happy ever after and then uh, the other writer that really i love tana french she writes mystery but um her writing is like poetry i love every time i read her books i just i just want to sit down and write and like write really beautiful words <laughs> because she just <laughs> has a way of making ordinary things seem really extraordinary and fascinating and beautiful and interesting uh just with the language that she uses Mm. okay very cool very very cool (laughs) yeah it's it's funny that sort of um stigma that romance writing has um for a very long time you know i had when i was a kid you know uh, 
child of an English teacher, right? Mm -hmm. I had to like go hide, yeah. you know, <laughs> when I had romance, I wasn't allowed to buy them really? or have them oh, in the house. Yeah. Yeah. We, we only read true literature, capital T, capital L, like, right? Reading is yeah. reading. Like let our, let our mind expand in whatever direction we want to expand. I know. <laughs> and, you know, I really think, and I know this has been like documented in, um, in, you know, I'm not saying anything new here. This has been documented in like a, a, a there was in a documentary about romance authors and and romance landia. But you know, there is a, there is something actually very feminist about romance novels, um, mm -hmm. starting with the fact that women write them. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Agreed. You know, like that's it right there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Representation matters, and in, in and in romance, there's a lot of women voices, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. But I also think that that's why it gets sort of, um, it gets shafted. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I could see uh, that. Yeah. You know, because nobody has said like, you know, nobody looks at Nicholas Sparks and says, well, you're not a real writer. <laughs> you know, I never read him because he's always making everything so sad. And I'm just like, life is sad enough. I don't need to. Yes. I don't no, need yeah. to die at the end of a book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, technically he is not a romance. Right. And he says he writes, so adamantly, I am not a romance writer. Love yeah. stories. Yeah. <laughs> but he does write love yeah, stories yeah. that a lot of women really, you love. know, yeah. really love. And so. Uh, you know, but, but he is not looked at as, well, you're not, no, 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 you're not a, you're not a real writer. You, you don't write, you know, that trash, right? Exactly. Uh, you know, and I think that he's given a pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the basis I of his see gender. that. I see that. I think that there are, you know, there are still some pretty, um, you know, notable voices in romance, like Nora Roberts and writers like that, who've really succeeded. And I'd mm -hmm. like to think that that's like a sign of moving toward, more acceptance of of women uh, and and romance as uh, legit literature. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think, I mean, it's a billion dollar industry, but you know, you look at it like it's never going to be in the New York Times book review, which mm -hmm. is fine. That's not our readership. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there is this sort of, I don't know. I think that it, uh, by it not being there, it also has this. Well, that's not serious. Yeah, it's a. Know. It's like a kind of a quiet slight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the omission of mm -hmm. it from there is is definitely feels like a bit of a slight. For yeah. Sure. And you know, when I first started talking about publishing, because I wrote these books years ago, <laughs> to be honest. And really, yeah, I wrote up for air in two thousand and ten. Um, but then I edited the hell out of it over and right. over and over and over again so many times um, that it wasn't really done until I actually finally just handed it to my publisher. But um, when I first started talking about it to my friends, I was almost embarrassed to be like, yeah, I mean, I guess they're kind of romance-ish. Like, I just didn't really want to admit. <laughs> romance-ish. <Yeah. laughs> I was like, uh, get over that. <laughs> Now, how long did it take you to kind of like get over that and feel like less squirmy? I think it was when I realized like, no, this is happening and I'm not going to use a pen name. I'm going to do it under my name. This is me. This is where I'm at and take it or leave it. And so once I got like once I got signed with Black Rose Writing, I was like, OK, it kind of just changed my whole perspective. Like I'm not just pretending that I can do this, I, I can do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do the best I can. And so, like, get the word out there. And I started promoting to my friends without any shame. And they have responded so well. Like, people who 
so many of my reviews read like, I never read romance before, but I really like this. And I'm like, cool, maybe this is <laughs> nice. introducing people who wouldn't have read it into the genre that they didn't know that they will love. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think that it's important at this point, I'm going to say like, you know, this, uh, you know, Up For Air has a few awards behind it. And then you also just finaled in the, the yeah. inaugural Good Sex Awards. <laughs> that is so exciting. Like, I'm Which really excited about crazy. all the awards. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, this one is um like it's because it's a feminist con like the concept behind it is mm -hmm. feminist and like i i i um finaled in sexiest consent and yep. best feminist sex scene and i'm like yeah <laughs> i love those categories so it's really exciting yeah and i think that that's just more of the idea of like you know yes this is a female dominated genre and let's yeah. take that and use that voice because we've got like you said, it's a it's a huge industry and there's a ton of readership and it's growing all the time. And let's use that voice and ex explore messages that really matter to women. And let's mm -hmm. let's write characters that are um, you know, not just stereotypes of women, but like real women characters. And let's let's really explore how sexy consent can be. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. All these yeah. things that are really important messages, I think for young girls and young women, let's, um, let's contribute to our culture by creating, you know, our own corner of literature that is really, really women focused and women like, you know, girl power, girl positive, and uh, give that voice some, some space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. And I know like you had said, you know, earlier representation matters. And one of the things mm -hmm. that, I mean, surprised me, I knew that you wrote BDSM and kink. I knew that you <laughs> wrote in there, but I didn't realize um, until I read you, until I actually, you know, sort of like sat down with your stuff that you also were writing polyamory. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I was like, Oh, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, and I know. <laughs> what's funny is that those two themes are definitely huge themes in the first book in Up For Air, but they're not themes in the second book. And they okay. won't be themes in the third book either. So like there's, in fact, in the third book, I'm playing with um, um, celibacy, at least for Whoa. part of it. Oh. Yeah. So oh, there's going to be like some, interesting. some sexy moments where there's no sex, but it's very like hot kind of foreplay <laughs> okay so you're coming back so that we can talk about that because one of the things no seriously like one of the one of the things i'm like desperate for is a sweet romance writer to come on here and talk about how to bring the steam when you're writing sweet well i'm i will say it's really challenging for me because i write balls to wall steam <laughs> yeah good sex award nom nominee right here i mean like yes you do <laughs> So writing like a suite where there's just, you know, subtle looks and touches, it's like, this is, this feels slow to me. So I think I'm going to need a lot of beta readers as I get further along in the process to be like, is this too slow? What's the pacing like? Because I feel like it's like, you know, really, really not where I'm at emotionally. Like, I really just want to write some hot sex, but... That's mm -hmm. not where the character's at <laughs> emotionally. So right. So okay, this is really fascinating because you're you've this is a series mm -hmm. and you're writing these sort of like okay, we've got BDSM kink polyamory in the first book, and then the second book I, based on the description, which like rock star romance high, what I write. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so my rock star lover is going to be a rock star romance. Yeah. Um, you know, so that seems am I that seems a little bit more I guess quote unquote traditional. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. A little bit right. more like it's pretty, it's, it, there are tropes in it that I hadn't, uh, I don't even think that like, you know, polyamory is often kind of equated with re- reverse harem in romance. And this is not right. like affair is not, not reverse that. harem. And so yeah, it's really not, not tropey. And, but the second one is definitely, there's definite tropes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm jumping around in like 20,000 different directions, but the polyamory is completely fascinating to me because so many more people are doing it. They're just not talking about it. Oh yeah. I know. It's really interesting. So the reason the, the, I'll just come clean and say that the uh, inspiration for that first book is my own life. I was married uh, to a musician, interestingly enough. And uh, so inspiration for second book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somewhat. Yeah, I knew all the ins and outs of the rock scene. But uh, for the first book, it was I was 29 and looking into the casket of my husband's grandfather. And I was realizing like, where's my life? Am I happy? Mm. And so I did talk to my husband at the time and we decided to open our marriage and back then there was nothing like that at all yeah. i mean there was a little bit but it was like just considered kink it wasn't considered um an actual lifestyle choice and right. um like we were i was that was back in the heyday of like okay cupid and on okay cupid and on myspace because this was that long ago um like it's set in 2005 this happened in 2005 um MySpace had a swinger option. <laughs> that was the that was their definition of poly back then was swinger, which is such a 1970s never, term. It is. It's almost like a key party, exactly. right? From the 70s. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God, which now I want to write one of those. Oh okay, God. God, anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, no, no, I, like I didn't realize that I was not on MySpace mm. in 2005, no, I even was. though I guess I could have been in, but <laughs> I was like, I, th- it just felt so foreign to me that I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't need to be there. Um, but, it, but so I didn't realize that there was a swinger option. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I decided to select it once. Um, when, when I met my current husband, I so then I had a husband and a boyfriend and it was very confusing and really hard and a stressful thing. And that was what I felt like years later, five years later, I think it was, I decided, you know, I need to write down what was going on during that summer? Because that was such a weird time in my life, and I right. and I have such a bad memory. Again, it was like I just need to document this thing, and so I wrote it down. And the more I wrote it, the more I was like, "This is like a story. Like this could be mm. a story." And so I started changing the order of things, and I started um, fictionalizing some things. Finally, I think it was like on the 80th edit, I took out the last actual sex scene that really happened. And now it's all fiction, but, <laughs> but like that, that was like, okay, I guess I'm handing this over now to the world of fiction. This is no longer right. anywhere near a memoir, but it was totally inspired by this life experience that I had. And so at the time, yeah, polyamory was just this strange thing. And I actually met a friend on OkCupid who's still a friend today, just because he said he was in a poly relationship. And I was like, can we do lunch? I want to talk to you. I want to pick your brain. <laughs> yeah, because, because, well, yeah, because there weren't, I mean, back then there certainly at yeah. least that you could find easily. Now there are all communities devoted to it. Exactly. I believe there's actually yeah. sort of a, a quote, I mean, I don't know better, lack of better term, a dating app that oh, yeah. is specific for, you know, the poly community. So there's a lot mm-hmm. 
you can find your people easier, you know, for sure than you could back then. And people are just more open about it. And I think that there's still, um, there's still obviously kind of a taboo with it, which is one of the reasons when I wrote this, I was like, I don't even know if it's romance because it's not, it's, it's kind of a taboo in romance because people see Polly as cheating and I don't, I've never considered that the case. I think if you have communication and there's no lie, then it's mm-hmm. not cheating. Um, yeah. But yeah. Th- that's, you know, that's my opinion. And there may be a lot of romance readers who are like, nope, 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 nope. Yeah, I was kind of curious if you got pushback on that because they're, ca- I mean, I think that you're pretty, it's not vague in your blurb. I just kind of missed it. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, oh, kink. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I was like glittered <laughs> by that or something. But I was like, <laughs> But, but I was sort of curious what there was, because I know I, my first book, I got called out um, by a reviewer and there, there wasn't an actual cheat. It was like huh. a, a massage, a groupie in her underwear giving a massage, but there was no real cheating that looked like it could lead to it, but nothing happened. Oh, and, and there was a lot of anger there. And so I, you know, I'm <laughs> in her <laughs> review. And so I get like, I get people are coming from a, I guess, I guess they're having a trauma response to cheating. Um, you know, so, so I don't want to disregard that, but I do think polyamory is something very, very different. And how, you know, how has that been within the romance community for you? I have been frankly shocked at how well received it's been. Um, I, I haven't had anybody come back and say, no, this is, this isn't romance. Like the, you know, she's Mm. hurting all these people. Um, you know, I, I haven't had any of that. And I really did think that I would. And that was one of the reasons I think it took me so long to get around to actually publishing it was I was a little bit afraid of the backlash that I might get. Um, and maybe I waited long enough that there's an acceptance of it in, in our culture now that that's not the case. Maybe if I had published this a few years ago, it would be a different story. Right. Right. Um, I was, I, like I said, I was so surprised to see that because I don't think I've seen any romances that like, that's not like menage or reverse mm-hmm. harem or whatever. <laughs> I don't think that I've ever seen one that was specifically about Polly. And I was like, Oh, like, yeah, cool. I don't think I have either. I mean, maybe, maybe there's women's fiction stories about that. Um, yeah, but not, but not romance. romance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for exactly. sure. For sure. Um, so, Hey, like, so for your good sex awards, uh-huh. <laughs> good sex award winning, uh, nominated, I'm saying winning, you're going to win. Um, <laughs> and there's a, there's a reader's choice award portion of it too. So I've been like posting about it online, like, come on. <laughs> oh, I gotta, I gotta look that up so that I can go give you, give you some go love, give you some love. <laughs> was it weird writing your first steamy scene? How, was it awkward? Like, how was that for you? Um, well, because I started out almost as a, um, as a, as like documenting life events, it was, mm-hmm. it was more like just writing down the details of something. And then later on, you go back and you read it like, oh, this is just blocking basically. And then his hand was here and my head was here and he pulled my hair and like, that's not that interesting. <laughs> and so uh, I think that's generally how I've ended up writing all of the sex scenes now is like, I kind of write the blocking, just you have the general idea of where the different characters are moving and right. what's happening. And then you edit it. And cause I'm, I'm terrible at first drafts. I love editing. 
So I will just get it down in the most basic ways. I've, I've never done insert sex scene here because I, <laughs> I know that I won't come back and do it justice. It's like, just go through the motions. Right. <laughs> that's a weird thing to say, but like, that's kind of how I started in the first draft. It's like stick figures and doing this, the motions. And then you, you flesh it out. Wow. This all just sounds like innuendo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm here for it. <laughs> but that's when you kind of like take out a lot of the blocking because it doesn't really matter if it was his left hand or his right hand that he used right, for that. Right. Or, but like you put in a lot more of the reaction and the motion and the, the sensory elements of it. Huh. I like this process. I'm, um, I'm slow mm. when I write, <laughs> when too. I write them, I'm so slow when I write them. And so I actually though, kind of like this process because sometimes I'll be writing it and I'll be like, Oh my God, I just want to get on with the yeah. story. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? But, but you really do, or at least I have to just really slow down. And so I kind of like the idea of just throwing out the blocking part of it mm -hmm. and letting that live and then going on with the story and then going back in to fill in the, the other things because that, you know, writing the sex scenes will really like trip up my word count, my <laughs> daily word count. Yeah. Well, and I try not to pay attention to daily word count too, because I find that um, I don't actually write very well when I feel like I'm under under pressure. And if I just kind of step away, I'll go, I'll go take a shower and I'll have a thought and I'll come out and I'll mm. like in my towel, I'm typing out this whole scene that I just came up with in the shower. And so I think that's better for my process anyway. Okay. Um, so I don't okay. generally try to keep tabs on that. I, I probably oh. should, but yeah, normally <laughs> I didn't. And then it became a thing because like I would start like kind of futzing too much with and not propelling forward. Mm -hmm. So I started kind of, I, I started doing, you need to do, you know, X amount of words. And so it's, I think it like, you know, started at 500 and then it's grown and grown and grown. Um, but I, I do because I need to, I, for me, I just need to plan out my, my yeah. time and my, my writing, my release schedule. Like, oh, frankly, this yeah, is about planning out my release schedule, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I still am terrible at, but I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to get better. And I know that if I have, a, if I meet a daily word count, I'm, it's going to be easier to figure out a release schedule. That's a good point. And since I've started using um, Scrivener, I, mm -hmm. I can see the statistics see better. Yeah. Like I used to just write in Word and that was such a nightmare. And yeah. um, on this current, on book three of the Lost in Austin series, I'm using Scrivener and I'm finding that it's so much easier to like move shit around mm -hmm. <laughs> than it was before. Yeah. But it's yeah. still, I'm still kind of at a block. And so uh, the Scrivener numbers, like when I look up word count and the, like how much I did this month compared to last month, I'm like, ooh, I'm doing good this month. Okay, cool. Yeah. And like it, it kind of like pat, it pats you on the back. Like, yeah, keep going. It does. It does pat you on the back. But, you know, I, I use Scrivener too, and I don't even like use it to. I know there's, it's so powerful, and mm -hmm. I don't even use it to its full potential. I don't either. But I'm sure. It just makes writing, it's so much easier to, like you said, move things around. Uh, and you know, are, you, are you a pantser or a plotter? I tend to be a pantser. Okay. Um, I try. I try my damnedest to be a plotter and then I'm just like, I'm bored. I'm going to start writing now. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I, you know, I get an idea and I want to like get the idea down mm-hmm. before I lose it. And then, and then that just turns into, well, I'll just write for a little bit and then I'll sit down and do the outline. And then all of a sudden there is no outline. Or I will do an outline. <laughs> and then, you know, three chapters later, I'm completely off the outline someplace else. So <laughs> yeah, I, I try, I try. And the book I'm working on right now is the first one where I've been like no outline. And I'll tell you what, I was 50. 5,000 words in the weeds until this oh, week I yeah. finally figured out what the hell I was doing. I've done that. Yeah. And yeah. It's, and it's where you basically chop half of it off and you're like, that hurts. But you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. at least so I got like, to know oh. my characters a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was exactly where I was. I was like, I don't think I know these characters well enough yet. So just keep writing. Yep. Just keep writing until you figure them out. And yep. that's kind of what like, where, I, where I went with that. And you know, interestingly, I have, um, I have found that like, I have the same thing where you're, you get an idea and you just write you just start writing because you're like this is going to be a novel it's going to be a series I can't wait but you end up with like three chapters and then you walk away and you don't pick it back up but I had that happen where I, I got an offer to do um, a anthology and they needed like a femme fatale horror short story and I was like oh I have that vampire story that I have three chapters of I can turn that into a short story and I just finished yeah. that and like I I'm still kind of blocked on my book three of my series but I just picked that up and like it was already pretty much written and I was like Mm -hmm. this is great I gotta do this more often just write down these ideas because who knows maybe they're a short story they might not be a full novel yeah I think you know it's funny I have um when I started writing, um, before I was writing romance, I wrote an urban fantasy series. Um, cool. And so I love urban fantasy, but mm-hmm. I've just been sort of like, you know, just more focused on the romance. And I have like a partial, I don't know how many chapters, I would say I've probably got like a good six to eight chapters of in urban fantasy that I started writing um, that I just kind of abandoned. Oh. And then a friend of mine is doing an anthology and asked me to contribute um, to it. And so I ended up doing a, I guess it's a novelette. It was supposed to, you know, mm-hmm. I'll just give them 10, you know, I'll give them 5,000 words, 20,000 words later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's sort of like a start to the series that I had, like the, the book that I had started. So I'm sort of like looking at that and kind of rethinking it so it can be a paranormal romance rather than oh, urban awesome. fantasy. Yeah. yeah, but it's really, but so it's, it's like kind of like, and I have so many of those of Scrivener files just kind of sitting on <laughs> my computer, half done or, you know, just started or quarter done or whatever it is that I, you know, I know I can go back and pick those up again. Yeah, same. And it, and it's kind of neat. It's like, oh, I can kind of rethink these because, you know, when you're thinking in terms of novels, it's like, well, I have to finish this one first and then I need to do this one. And then I've got yeah. this like I've got this long line, it's sort of like my TBR list. It's my TBW. Wait, no. <laughs> no, we need TBW TBW to be written. To be written. There, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what are the yeah, initials stand for? There we go. <laughs> two, two, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Halfway through, I'm like, wait, did I get that right? Okay, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, there, uh, there's a long line of story ideas that are just waiting. It's like you know. Maybe I could do something different with some of these. Or do if it you, takes off, you know, then you can turn it into a full novel. Do you get frustrated sometimes? Because I feel like I have all of these ideas in me and I'm like, I'm never going to be able to write all of this. Oh, yeah. And, and, my, and it's so you know, frustrating. I have, a, I have a day job that I love, but at the same time, it's like, man, I really want to just be a writer at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I'm <laughs> not there yet. pay the bills. Yeah. I know. I'm not there yet. I mean, you know, I got, as I had mentioned 
in the green room. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I was COVID unemployed mm-hmm. and I'm still COVID unemployed. Um, but I, like I'm a freelancer, but um, my clients are starting to come back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I've had I've had a year to write. I've released four books. Oh, wow in a year, you know, because I've had time. I mean, it sounds so much better. But, you know, so I've read these four books. I wrote the novelette. I wrote a novella that is going to make my readers really excited, but I'm not talking about it yet because it still needs edits. And yeah. Um, but so, I, so I've been very, very productive, but I still feel like it, it's not enough. And yeah. and it's not enough for me to quit my day job yet, which oh, I'm yeah. like, oh, man. Because I do. I want to write. Like, I want to, like, live with my characters. Like, even mm-hmm. my most frustrating day writing is better than my best day on my day job. Yeah. And and my day job uses so much of my brain power, you know, by the end of the day, I'm just kind of drained. And so I use that time to market or to surf on social, but I don't really get a lot of writing done unless I get up early and do it before. Okay. I was going to ask you when you do your writing. Then yeah, it's, it's almost always on the weekends or in the mornings right. when my head is fresh. And I yeah. often will wake up with an idea or it'll be in the middle of the night <laughs> when I'm like, soinks, and I wake up and I'm just like, got to get this down. And so I'm just sitting there with my earplugs in, like writing for an hour. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be totally woo right now. But um, it, I had the, the what sort of drew me out, how I figured out my damn plot for this book is I dreamed it oh. Monday night. <laughs> and I woke up and I, I woke up Tuesday morning and I was like, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you, subconscious. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. There's a story in you just crying out. <laughs> yeah, that and holy basil leaf. Highly recommend for wackadoodle dreams. Uh, um. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, I want to jump in and dig into your intimate scene. All right. All right, you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. All right, here we go. Let me just make sure I'm at the beginning here. I can't even remember which scene I sent you. I think I know. Okay. (laughs) So this is from Up for Air, the first book in the Lost in Austin series. And okay, why did you pick this scene? Uh, Is it the scene I think with the safe words? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I picked that scene. That's actually the scene that is uh, placed for the Good Sex Awards. And, oh, okay. Um, I liked it. I like it for a couple of reasons. One is that it, it really does center consent as a main theme. It's, mm-hmm. it's also the character, the main character's introduction into kink. And so it's kind of fun to see her reactions. But what I like about it too is that it's an it's a really hot intimate sex scene with zero actual penetration sex. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> Not that it's a bad thing. There's actually so much about this scene that I loved. Oh. Um, yeah. So okay, I'll just get to it. So so I'm not gonna like talk about it before okay. you. And everyone's like, "What the fuck is she talking about?" Okay. Ariana, if this isn't something you want to do, no, I stop him. I want to try it. I'm just a little nervous. Okay, he nod. He he nods as he scrutinizes my face. What would you like your like for your safe word to be? I have absolutely no idea. I try to be clever. How about Godot? Godot. <laughs> he tries to stifle a laugh but fails. No, that that's not a good safe word. Why not? Because it sounds like God and oh. You want a safe word that sounds like a word you might, that you don't want a safe word that sounds like a word you might shout out during sex. It could get confusing. Oh, okay. How about stegosaurus? 
Alex laughs. Now I'm imagining you shouting that out during sex. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I just thought this exchange was so (laughs) funny. And finally, poor Alex is like, let's just go with like red. Let's go with red. (laughs) He's like, red is fine. That's the usual. Like, basic red. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that would be me trying to pick a safe word. Like, I'd be like, why would you give me that choice? Just tell me what's a good safe word. Red is normal. I'd be like, okay, we'll go with red. (laughs) But I was like, Godot. I was like, oh. (laughs) I mean, I was laughing about it for reasons before, like, we got to the God and O part. I was just like, Oh my God, waiting for Gatel, waiting for the orgasm, right. waiting, you know? <laughs> and you're like, God and oh. I was like, oh, of course. So I just, there was so much humor in this. And, um, you know, so I think that's something that I really want to sort of like talk about for a minute because when you say poly and kink and BDSM, it sounds like it's going to be a very serious romance. It sounds capital, dark. Yeah. Like very dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I do think part of that is that kink and BDSM is, is sort of usually dark romance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And I loved that this wasn't. And there was so much levity here um, <laughs> that made their connection too so much more believable and also so much more intimate. Like they, they were able to have that that sort of that back and forth and you know and also there's a little bit of nerves going on here right? oh, yeah. Like, yeah you know like she's a little nervous yeah she's very nervous and then he's nervous too because he's you know he's initiating somebody new into a scene that can be really intense and he yeah. really likes her so he doesn't want to do anything that might turn her off and so he's like nervous he, you know he says you know i need i you can trust me. I need to know that I can trust you too. I need yeah. to know that you'll use these words, the safe word, if you need it. Um, and it's really important to him to get that message across to her because he doesn't want to accidentally hurt her or upset her in a way where he's never going to see her again. I actually really love that point that you're making because I do think that there is a sort of like knee-jerk automatic assumption that the person that is in the most vulnerable spot is going to be the submissive but actually the dom is in a pretty vulnerable spot too because i'm sure you know that person doesn't want to hurt right the person that they're playing with right and that's what the safe words are for but when you've got somebody who's completely new to the scene they may not recognize that and i you you see that in some i've seen that like that's in um uh, 50 shades when he first spanks her and she freaks out and leaves <laughs> because she doesn't know what's going on. And then to be honest, he was being abusive in that scene. Um, and mm. I don't like that. And so I wanted this to be really clear that um, he's not a, a guy who's doing this because he wants to dominate women. He just likes the kind of control aspect of sex and like having that, that, that sense of, power but it's not like right. a it's not like a sexist thing and it's not an abusive thing um but he is making it very clear to her that she has a huge amount of power too yeah 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 i i haven't read 50 shades and i know i i know i i always say and I, I will because i know i should and then yeah. somebody goes no you don't really need to and then no. i'm like no <laughs> that i feel like i should just be as a point of reference right mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i i really feel like i need that um and i know that a lot of people who are 
who are in the kink community are very, very angry about about that book. Yeah, um, it's a bit frustrating. I read it. I read all three books um, okay. and I saw the first movie. I did not see the second two. Um, but um, I think it's frustrating because it Christian Grey is a is a guy who's been abused himself. Right. Uh, he's a victim of of child abuse basically there, there was a woman who was having sex with him when he was a 15 year old boy mm. and so he's just never been um he's never known a sexual relationship that was a healthy one and mm. so he's he kind of comes to to his dominance in that way and and he so he kind of harms others i think and um I think the BDSM community is frustrated because it, it's so popular. It's huge and it's, it's sold millions of copies and this yeah. is their voice. This is, this is what represents them. It's actually not representative of, you know, a healthy right. BDSM community. And so it's a little bit frustrating. Um, I'm kind of curious then, do, do, because this is in his backstory that he has this abuse and this is why he is the way he is um christian gray I, I guess I'm, yeah christian oh. gray so if that if that's the like the, yeah. the, that's part of his backstory i'm very curious then how it how this became the primer on bdsm i don't know other than just that it became very popular somehow and i don't know what right. what triggered that but because all of the um all the people who maybe were used to reading sweet romance were suddenly like, Oh, I think I like kink. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and they're, they've always read vanilla romance and now they're like, Oh, so this is Rocky road. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just sort of wondering like why, you know, E.L. James didn't come out and say, Whoa, look folks, <laughs> you know what I mean? This is not representative of the kink community. This is something different. This is about, you know, a man who had this abuse in the past. Like, do you know what I mean? Well, or did she just not even have that realization to even say that? Yeah, maybe, I don't even know. Like, I just, I mean, that's just me personally. I read it as he was a, he was a victim of abuse. Like he, right. he but at the time, um, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody really talking about that other than that his behavior toward Anna is in places very abusive or very mm -hmm. controlling. And right. it, it all seems to come from this place of insecurity. It's not, uh, it, it's not a healthy, yeah, it's yeah. not a healthy yeah. way to, to explore that kind of a relationship. And that's just me reading it and going, Oh my gosh, he was abused. Like, but okay. I don't know if EL James has ever really addressed that. And I, and I'll be honest, like I'm, I don't really follow her, so I don't know. Maybe she has, and I just didn't. I missed the news, but um, yeah, I have no idea. I've never because yeah. I, but I've never actually seen. And I would imagine that if she came out and said something like that, it would be news. It would be, I think, yeah, because it it changes the whole concept. But his behavior is, um, it's it's treated as good. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gets everything you want. It's a little bit problematic. Uh, there, there. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I see it all now. Yeah. I do need to read it just so that I have that perspective. But I do, I mean, I, I find that really interesting because, you know, um, and this is coming from somebody who, as my husband and daughter once said to me, well, you hate men. Um, <laughs> it's like, well, no, I don't, but. Um, <laughs> I love that, but. But, um, you yeah, know, but there's, there's, 
like, I think that there is a lot of disservice done to men in our culture that they're supposed to be all of these things. And if they're, you know, a, a 15 year old, being what is essentially raped by an older woman is mm-hmm. going to get like you know elbows in the ribs and great job exactly high fives in the locker room yeah but in reality like this is scarring this is rape this mm-hmm. is you know and mm-hmm. i just kind of feel like these are like we do a real disservice to to the men in our culture exactly you know and it would be nice for somebody to address that for once in a very public forum right you know? and you know Christian Gray's character, he is not one to really talk about his emotions. He walks away. Like when, when major mm-hmm. topics come up, he kind of walks away because he doesn't know how to express when he's unhappy or frustrated without being, in some cases, abusive. Right, um, right. And it's it like it's clear that he's struggling with that toxic masculinity. Like he's expected to be all these things and he's sort of living up to some of them and not others. And uh, it's um, it's. I would think as a man in America, that would be really exhausting. Yeah. 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 Okay. Enough about Christian Gray. We're going to keep, keep going. Yes. This is the fun stuff. Okay. So now he has, I'm trying to think where I am with this is uh, for the next little bit that I, okay. So, okay. So when they're in this room, by the way, which I did not set up, that is kind of like um, a playroom. Yeah. I guess for, like it's his bedroom, correct? It's but his it's guest or, bedroom, yeah. Yeah, and so it's got like paddles and and you know, th- and so he's basically has this. Uh, oh god, I guess I don't know, like an eye hook or something uh, in, in the mm-hmm. ceiling, and he is, you know, now got some cuffs, and this is where we are. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, "Now stand on your toes." I raise my heels off the ground and balance on the balls of my feet. As I do, I feel feel a leather cuff clasp around my wrist and the tug of his fingers as he fastens the strap high above my head. Okay. Wow. (laughs) When he moves away, I remain there, dangling like a cockeyed Christmas ornament. I love these descriptions. (laughs) My fingers explore the edges of the thick leather cuff and the heavy gauge, gauge chain that pulls taut above. Next, he takes my my right wrist and cuffs it over my head, too. I am fully suspended, rendered helpless, completely at his mercy. And this is how I remain for a long time. I'm not sure how long it is. Time moves differently when you're naked, blindfolded, and suspended from the ceiling. It could be minutes or it could be hours that I wait. It feels like it's been days that he's not touching me, not moving, not making a sound. I can't help but fidget, feeling unnervingly vulnerable and exposed in my new captive state but I resist the urge to shout a safe word. I don't want to stop, not before we've even started. I want to see this through. I want to know this side of him, and I want to know this side of me. As if he can hear my thoughts, he touches me and rewards me with a sweet, soft kiss. Was he expecting me to break? I can feel the relief and joy in his lips as he recognizes in me a willingness to play this game with him. And with that, I am centered, ready, even excited about what is to come. Oh my God, I love that moment. Okay, so there's lots going on here. <laughs> right. Really sexy, but it's also about her being in this new kind of weird, kind of mm-hmm. literally awkward position and how she, for a split second, is going to give in to fear. But then instead, she sort of like goes into, 
she, she doesn't let that take over and it becomes curiosity and empowerment that takes over um, even through her vulner vulnerability. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that that's a theme that comes up a lot in the book is this idea that by opening her marriage, she somehow made this courageous leap uh, mm. in her life. And, and Alex, uh, the guy in that scene, he, uh, he, re he frequently says that he thinks she's brave and she's just like, I'm not brave. Um, and she and she thinks that he's going to find out that she's not and and see that she's a fraud. Um, you know, it's just there's almost like an imposter syndrome for her where she's like, you know, everybody thinks that I'm this carefree, wild person and I'm just not. But she's in a place in her life where she wants to see that side of herself and and see if she can be. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because as we're sort of talking through this and I'm like rereading this, you know, out loud and I'm thinking to myself, you know what, this really is this sort of like coming of age mm. story, yeah. even for a woman who's like who is in her 30s or, you know, uh, or moving into her 30s. But it really does feel like a coming of age because yeah. she really is coming into herself. That's why I kind of whenever I describe it, I almost want to say it's like erotica women's fiction. <laughs> Because it has that story arc of her kind of finding herself yeah. um, that is, I think, a bit more women's fiction style. Uh, but mm -hmm. it has extreme sex scenes. <laughs> it's got all kinds of stuff. Um, there's a sodomy scene that you don't even, uh, you haven't even. Oh, read. oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. We go I mean, you're all like, No holds barred. <laughs> really, really, you're like, I'm, 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 if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this all the way. Oh, yeah. yeah have you, have, do you know L.B. Alexander? Uh, I think I know the name, but I don't. She sure. writes, she's got a series. Um, she, uh, it's two books in the series. Plus I think she just like today, like dropped a surprise, like little novella. Oh, cool. um, and it, she's dealing with a lot of the same things here. She, hers is darker mm -hmm. um, than yours, but it really is sort of like women's empowerment and self-discovery through BDSM and kink. And it's a wonderful, beautiful book. Oh, um, to check that out. Yeah, she she's doing the same thing, and she actually has a rom com that I I read an arc of coming out that has nothing to do with um with B BDSM or kink. It was just kind of like this fun book for her to read. It's like a a reverse Pretty Woman. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and it's super super fun. But again, she's really dealing um with because she was sort of like going, oh, I don't know, maybe this isn't romance, maybe this is women's fiction, and I you know, and I was like. I was like, oh, your sex scenes are so hot. Yeah. It is definitely romance. <laughs> yeah. And when I started talking to women's fiction writers, they were all like, oh, no, no, you're not women's fiction, honey. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> they, they're not explicit. I mean, because I, I, I don't think I've ever read a women's fiction book or a chiclet, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote book that, that is graphic. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that, I, that like, yeah, which I think... Maybe romance is kind of that sweet spot between women's fiction and erotica where it's like you yeah. can get a whole variety, a whole rainbow of sweet and, and, uh, and spicy and all of this, all this stuff. Um, and it's all just falls under the romance um, umbrella. But I but like it's not what I write isn't really like doesn't follow some of the standard tropes that you might. It's like there's no hockey. Mm -hmm. There's no uh, there's right. no reverse harem. There's none of the right. like stuff that people have like specific fandom about motorcycle club or mafia. And it's like not none of the stuff that I write falls into that. But it still does fall into overall romance because there's tons of sex and a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in fairness, your next book, which we will be talking about mm. when we're done with this scene, um, is a rock star romance and rock stars yes. are a trope. That is a good point. There's a so. couple of tropes in that. And there's one trope that I'm not even going to talk about because it's a, it would be a, a, 
It's a spoiler. Uh, a spoiler. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. So I'm gonna jump down a bit. Okay. Um. Okay. So we. I love the way how you kind of like set up these sort of like um, these little short bits, and they go through spanking and tickling mm. and teasing, and you know. So this is sort of after they've gone through all of um all of those bits. Um. Okay. For what seems an eternity, though it could be mere seconds, he leaves me. With the lingering sting of that last spank, he steps away from me. I can't feel him, can't hear him. I'm not even sure he's still in the room. I feel his absence acutely. I turn as far as my arms will stretch, straining to listen for him. I hold my breath so I can hear his, but there's only silence. I start to panic. I shiver, suddenly feeling cold, exposed. I whimper, about to cry. In an instant, Alex slides against me, soothing me with the comfort of his presence. He hugs me tight, one arm wrapped around my waist, one cradling my head, his fingers caressing my cheek. His bare chest pressed up against me is warm and slick with a sheen of sexy sweat. I sigh with relief. I'm here, he whispers into my ear, his words and the comfort of his nearness warming me all over. You've been a very good girl. You've earned a reward. He slides down my neck, my chest, my abdomen until his fingers are again between my legs. I groan. Not again. I try to wiggle away, <laughs> overstimulated and sexually frustrated, not wanting to be denied anymore. He hugs me tighter, holding me in place as his fingers move over me, then inside me. I pant and groan and wiggle as I feel my orgasm building again. I expect him to stop once more, but this time he only increases his speed as my groans turn to moans. Alex presses his lips to the shell of my ear. He kisses me. He gives me a soft kiss, then commands, come for me, Ariana, now. As if waiting for permission, my body erupts. The orgasm courses through me like hot lava, scorching everything in its path. I scream until my throat goes hoarse. I shake like I'm having a seizure. I see stars where before there was just the black cloth of the blindfold. And when it's burned through me, I crumble like ash. Sated and spent, every muscle in my body quits at once. I sink against him, my weight hanging from the wrist cuffs, my hands numb within the restraints. Well, that was a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I especially love that very last paragraph. Um, yeah. That orgasm was uh, like that was such <laughs> a, a hot gorgeous, lava. <laughs> a hot lava burn through me, crumble like ash. That was beautiful. Um, <laughs> Why, thank you. One of the things I like too is that after that, he really puts a lot of energy into aftercare, which is another yes. thing that BDSM is really, really focused on. Is yeah, is that taking care of your partner. Yeah. He does a good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, um, LB Alexander has been on this podcast twice. And the second time we did talk about aftercare uh-huh. and how that's a thing. And, you know, and I was like, and that needs to happen and oh, yeah. why it's important and how some BDSM books don't do it. And and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, so it stood out to me at that point <laughs> that he was doing that aftercare. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, so. it's just as important as the dominance and the, yes. and the restraint. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, I think, I think aftercare post-sex, even without BDSM, even, you know, I I think, I think that there needs to be some level of that. I think that that's important, you know. Yeah, we all need a cuddle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A little cuddle. Yeah. You know, even if it's a conversation or, you know what I mean? It's not sort of like get up and leave, you know, and I, I, and if you get up and leave, uh, that's a, 
that that's something else entirely. That's a powerful mm-hmm. statement too. And that's something else entirely. Absolutely. And what does that mean? You know, so I, I think that it's, um, yeah, I, I, so it was great to sort of see it in here and know that it was there. And, mm-hmm. but, and, and like I said, that orgasm was just beautiful. <laughs> beautiful, oh, beautiful. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and one last little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm so overwhelmed with bliss from his touch. I hardly hear when he asks, how was the experience for you? I have trouble forming words. Alex smiles, patiently watching me as I search my mind for what I want to say and the words to express express it. It was incredible to steal his word. I've never felt so stripped and vulnerable yet cared for and safe in my life. I've never been more needing of a single person's touch and nearness, nor felt more brave and independent. In that time, I found myself and I found him. I want to be his, my own self, independent, strong, and brave, yet completely his. Finally, I speak, but all that comes out is, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> or it's escaped her, literally, yeah. literally. You know? But I was like, oh, one of my notes was, wouldn't it be great if every sexual encounter led to this exact feeling? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Like, like I just want to give myself over, but I feel so powerful, like so empowered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of felt like, okay, that is kind of, that's the goal, mm-hmm. right? Like every time. To every me, time like that's getting true intimate, intimacy. Like that's, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Like I kind of feel like we just hit it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't need to do this podcast anymore. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> Solved. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> So this was a gorgeous scene, and and I like good. I really think that you should win. Oh, thanks! So congratulations <laughs> on the nomination because like this was sort of that was really really awesome. <laughs> so I know that we you have another book coming out probably uh, the Road Home book two August fifth the Rock Star and um, this will probably be dropping around the same time that the podcast drops. So I want to give this awesome. a little bit of time and. Um, and so this is a uh, rock star romance, mm-hmm. as I said, set in Austin, which has a phenomenal music scene. Yep. Um, for those who don't know, <laughs> and um, one of the one of the sort of points in the description that grabbed me is that your your uh, Jake, mm-hmm. your mate, your hero, is he scores a once in a lifetime opportunity that brings him back to the Cherokee reservation where he grew up. So you're writing. Um, a character that is part of the Cherokee Nation. And I just wanted to like talk about that because I was like, oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've necessarily, I mean, you know, have stumbled across. And honestly, when I look for books, I'm literally stumbling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, a books that has that influence, the, the Native American influence. And so I definitely wanted to you know, talk about that. You right. Know, why was this important for you to tell this story? Well, so I am Cherokee Nation. Uh, yeah. Jake is actually Eastern Band Cherokee Indian, which is a different tribe within the Cherokee umbrella. Okay. <laughs> it's huge. I mean, yeah. I know that, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, when we had the Trail of Tears back in 1880, not 1888, I'm sorry, 1838, um, my group of Cherokee were forced west to what is now Oklahoma. And okay. that was the, the Eastern band call us the Western Cherokee, but we're just, we're the Cherokee nation. And we're, we are actually, I think the largest Indian nation in the country. We, it's either us oh. or the Dine, the Navajo tribe, but, uh, okay. but we are a massive community. Um, 
And then there was a group of Cherokee who remained in North Carolina. Uh, they remained either because there was um, this one town that was allowed to stay by the governor of North Carolina. And then there were other people who hid out in the Smoky Mountains and then they mm. stayed. So that's okay. what makes up the Eastern Band. And so Jake is Eastern Band and he grew up in Cherokee, North Carolina. Uh, and then a, a family tragedy um, happened and he has been estranged from his family ever since. And so this is taking him back to his homeland. And I really wanted, as as someone who's Cherokee, and, and, and since I'm, you know, now that I have this platform to be able to write and get a voice out there, I really wanted to have a Cherokee voice in okay. a contemporary romance. Like you're mm -hmm. going to see in, in terms of romance, you, you'll see, um, you'll see indigenous characters who are in historical romance. And it's, yeah. it's usually like, you know, the fierce warrior who helps a white woman survive on the plains, but he probably doesn't speak much English, but it's a good thing he can speak with his body really well. Like that kind of character. Oh, I'm cringing. <laughs> yeah. You can't see me, but I'm cringing it's, right it's now. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of that stereotype yeah. of like yeah. the, the, the plains Indian and, and the teepees. And it's like just kind of a fantasy, I think. Um, but that's frustrating because it kind of, it kind of contributes to this idea that I think is fairly common in America that indigenous people are from the past, that we don't still exist and we don't mm. still have our tribes and our communities and, and that we don't still live like right next door to people, you know, like we don't all live in the, in the 1800s. Right. And so that's one aspect that you see. The other would be probably paranormal romance. They're going to be shifters and they're probably going to shift into werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yep, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And, like, and like that goes to another stereotype, which is like the that indigenous people are closer to animals and the earth and they're mystical. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's just kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of fantasy again. And what I want to see more of is contemporary romance that have just normal everyday people who are rock stars or, uh, you know, race car drivers or whatever yeah, who yeah. are indigenous. And so that's when I wrote Jake, cause it was kind of this idea, like uh, that old adage, if you don't see the book that you want to read, write it. And so right. I kind of was like, okay, I'm going to write, I'm going to write a story. And so Jake is actually a side character in up for hair. He's best mm -hmm. friends with Ari and Ari's husband. And he's having to watch the two of them go through this weird thing where they're opening up their marriage. And he's like, trying to understand where his place is in that whole thing. And so he's kind yeah. of going through his own come to Jesus coming of age, like where, who am I, what am I doing with my life? Sort of, uh, you know, that sort of epiphany moment. And right. that's where we start book two uh, is kind of right after book one. And so now it's Jake, who's the narrator and he's telling his own story. And, uh, and I was just really excited because it got, it gave me an opportunity uh to use actual Cherokee in the book. I don't use it a ton, but there's probably like, I don't know, less than a dozen, but a few phrases that oh, he cool. uses uh, in the cool. phonetic. And then at the back, I have I have a friend who's a language expert. I'm a novice, I'll be very honest. Um, but he's a he is fluent. And he helped me build up a table that has the syllabary of the Cherokee characters, then the then the phonetic pronunciation and then the English meaning of all the Cherokee that I use so that you can kind of see what it all means. Oh, but that's cool. It was that's like, cool. you know, to get to have a character say, I love you in Cherokee. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was I, really, uh -huh. neat. it really meant a lot. And so, 
Uh, and like, yeah, so there's just, that was something that was really important to me. And I, I hope to do it more, you know, and in, in, yeah. I've got these specific characters for the Lost in Austin series. But after this, I want to, you know, try to incorporate that more with future projects. Oh, I think that that's excellent. And I, and I really do. I, I absolutely love that. And I think that as we've said a few times now, representation matters, Yeah, yeah. you know, and I think that this is, um, this is really awesome. And I'm glad that I wasn't being completely ignorant because I'm like, no, I've never seen any Native American in a, in a contemporary romance. It's true. Like, oh, am, I, am I being ignorant or yeah, <laughs> well, like, or is there just, do they just not exist? It, it, they may exist. And I just don't know if there are other uh, if there are other indigenous writers or other writers who are writing like well-formed indigenous characters in contemporary romance, please reach out. Cause I would love to connect because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not aware <laughs> of it. And I would love to like, you know, form a little club and we could talk about it, but uh, <laughs> I don't know how many there are. Yeah. Um, this is cool. Well, I'm just over the moon that you did this with me today because oh, yeah. this, your stuff is really amazing. Well, thank you. I've had a really good time. This is great. Cool. So where can readers find you? Where, where's the best place on the internet? Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. My handle there is author Christina Berry. Uh, my website is christinaberry.com. Uh, and so that's probably the, those are probably the easiest ways to find me uh, and connect. Um, I'm on Facebook too, author Christina Berry there as well. I'm on Twitter, but I almost never use it. I hate Twitter. I, I too. hate Twitter. It's like a cesspool. It's just like it. screaming into the void. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's so mean. And yeah. yeah. I hate Twitter. Um, <laughs> have you done TikTok yet? No, I haven't. And I, um, I don't know if I ever will because I just I don't like doing video. I know me neither. <laughs> I know I'm there. I have a couple of videos. I feel like an idiot. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I would just be like, oh gosh. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, even when I post selfies a couple minutes later, I'm like, oh, I don't like it. I don't, I'm going to take it down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going to take it down. I mean, there's a reason why we're writers. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You but know, I mean, when I signed up for this, I didn't realize how much marketing is required. And like, oh, you mean I have to like, like be seen and talk? Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. talk better on the page. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wild. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's really funny because I obviously I do a podcast and I'm fine like talking to people. And then I had to do um, one of the things that I'm pushing myself to do this year is do other people's podcasts. So it's not just me with my own podcast. It's like pushing myself to like pitch other podcasts to mm -hmm. have me on as a guest. And so I was on Romance Happy Hour last week, and which is not just a podcast. Oh, no, it's a live stream on oh. Facebook. So I was like a deer in headlights. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, I do, I'm like saying to myself while I'm sort of like there going, you do this, every, you do this like weekly, like you're all like, you talk to people and you're like fine, but like, I don't have video going. And for some, and like the, the live stream, when I was looking at the computer and you can't not look at the computer else you're looking, you're not looking at the camera. Right. Like you could, I, you could, I could see myself and I was like, but I don't want to see myself. And yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Like, I was like, oh, this was, you just picked the wrong thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that you were yeah. giving yourself a pep talk like halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was. You can do this. <laughs> you can get through this. I mean, by the end it was fine. Like I kind of figured it out, but like those first like 15 minutes, I was like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. That would oh, be I don't like this. <laughs> I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and then, of course, it's like, too late now. Yeah. <laughs> You're in. <laughs> You're doing this. <laughs> it would be funny if you just kind of like, turned off your camera like off. <laughs> somebody asks you a question and you're like bye and i'm like no, I'm sick. peace out i'm yeah. out my done <laughs> thanks see you later oh my gosh <laughs> christina thank you so much yeah thank you for having me i've had a blast we'll have to do this again <laughs> absolutely all right i hope you enjoyed the episode sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.